He's a former law enforcement officer who went to the United States military. He retired as a master sergeant in the United States Army Special Forces. He's been awarded the Silver Star and three Purple Hearts. And now he dedicates his life to training law enforcement officers in special weapons and tactics, dealing with things like active shooters, hostage rescue, and more. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. Calling us from South Carolina, we have Robert Vaughn on the phone. Robert is a retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant, part of Delta Force. I know that's not the right terminology and he's got a lot of experience. He trains law enforcement people. He's got some law enforcement background and uh, Robert, thanks so much for joining us on the, the radio show. Thanks for having me, Jay. Um, and just so you know, we don't call it, we're beat into not saying that, those words, so we we simply call it the unit or CAG. So we don't use the term Delta Force, it's unit or CAG. Correct. What's CAG stand for? Uh, Combat Applications Group. All I know is, and I'm, you know, I'm, I was never in the military. I grew up in a military family, career Navy dad, and I grew up most of my life in Norfolk, Virginia. Very comfortable in the military, but I don't know all the terminology, and I have a lot of respect for our military men and women our, our veterans and our special forces because i i can't imagine doing what they do well thank you uh it's definitely it takes a strong family as well it it does i think for any branch of the military you're in you certainly need a lot of help but uh, there's no one stronger in the world than than my mom a navy wife because when he was gone well even when he wasn't gone when he was home she ruled the roost and uh, that, she did a very effective true. job. Uh, my wife is exactly the same way. Um, we've been married for 32 years, uh, getting ready to celebrate. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, very special to put up with me for that long. Well, tell her Especially I said doing- thank you as well for, for her support. And people say service, but they, they serve too, just in a different way. Yes, they do. Absolutely. So how long did you do in the military? Uh, I retired in 22 years. Okay. Uh, thank you for your service. I understand from a correspondence with a friend, you received a Silver Star and a Purple Heart. Uh, yes, I received a uh, Silver Star and I turned down my third Purple Heart. Third Purple Heart. Wow. Yes. We'll talk about some of that a little bit later on if you are open to that. Now that you're retired, you are doing uh, tactical training where you're assisting law enforcement, Correct. I am. Uh, I started uh, Shadow Group Tactical Solutions uh, this past summer, and just want you know, starting off as a law enforcement officer before I joined the military, um, I just want to pass along that knowledge that I've I've you know learned over these combat tactics years, um, the highest tactics train uh, technic um, edit, uh, highest TTPs that um, that we've learned through all those that combat experience, and I want to give back to law enforcement. Well, thank you for doing that. Where did you serve in law enforcement? I was a deputy sheriff for five years in Sumter County, Florida. And then you went in the military. Uh, that's right. I went exactly opposite of everybody in front of me. 
I was going to say it's usually the other way around. People used to do four, five, six years and then do a career in law enforcement. You went the exact opposite. I know one other guy, a guy I worked with in the Baltimore Police Department named Randy Everett. He left and went full time as an officer in the Army. Yeah, um, I went the enlisted route. Uh, as you mentioned, that you know, I retired as a master sergeant. I uh, was promoted to sergeant major, but never picked up uh, or never pinned the sergeant major um, bars. Well, I'm for one not going to get into a whole uh, dispute that sometimes pops up between officers and enlisted. Uh, my dad was a chief petty officer, so I come from that background. And by the way, to folks listening, I grew up in the Vietnam era, and uh, the reason that's important is a lot of people I went to school with, they had dads who were POWs or MI or killed in action, but uh, some of them, quite a few of them didn't know until the end of the war. Uh, and that was a big influence in, in our whole society and culture and how we were raised. Uh, and ever since they came home, I've had a sour taste in my mouth about how those men and women were treated. Um, and, and I don't, dispute political disagreements or anything else but i don't like the way they're treating i see a lot of that happening nowadays with the similar treatment for law enforcement yeah i definitely see that same type of mentality towards law enforcement as what you're talking about and you know the vietnam era you know there was the Aung San, you know kind of war it was a it was a bad taste in everybody's mouth uh those guys were you know spat upon when they came home uh it was just the way that they were they were treated was just horrible but I see the same thing happening today with law enforcement. And by the way, when I was a rookie police, most of the people who trained me, well, a lot of our law enforcement are, are military veterans. And yep. I was very fortunate. Most of the people who trained me were Vietnam War veterans. And we even had a few commanders and command staff and lieutenants and above who were Korean War veterans. And they really were very good at, at what we now call community policing. They had the elements of things like respect, how you talk to people, uh, things of that nature. Tactics change, weapons change, but the basics of just talking to people and policing is the same. That's very true. So you now work, tell us the name of your your group and where people get more information. Uh, Shadow Group Tactical Solutions. uh, And edit. Uh, what did you ask, Jay? That's the name of your group and where people get more information. Okay. Uh, Shadow Group Tactical Solutions. Uh, I have a website, uh, you know, Shadow Group Tactical Solutions dot com, as well as uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook. Um, we pretty much go travel mobile. Uh, we don't have a facility that we run that we run out of here. Uh, there are facilities that I use that are local that I bring officers in from surrounding areas, that type of thing. And people will get more information online some of the basic training you offer. We talk tactical. We're talking, obviously, about weapons uses and, and situations and how to deal with room entry, active shooters, and those sort of things, correct? That's correct. And there's a list of services that I do provide on the website, um, but that's I typically run mostly custom courses depending on what the agency needs. And I like to focus on bridging the gap between law enforcement and special operations because some of the tactics you know, go across the board and could be used the same, but there's sometimes that those uh, tactics, techniques, and procedures do not cross over. Uh, like, you know, I'm not used to, you know, an ounce and knock. Uh, so, you know, in the special operations community, we, you know, we're, we're pretty much, you know, explode, 
and go uh, and flood the building. Uh, surrounding call-out is something that we, we've adapted, um, and being able to bridge that gap between knowing what an announcement knock is and the, how those tactics are going to change uh, is what I'd like to bring, you know, that I try to bring to the table. One of the biggest differences I've seen, and I've not worked in, in the military, but with people who have, is that the mindset between American law enforcement officers and our combat military people serving overseas is that, yes, you have rules of engagement, but we in law enforcement are more reactionary. And in military, if you have a target and you have rules of engagement, you are more uh, proactive and, and engage the target quicker. That is very true. And that's a, uh, that was one I was going to bring up is law enforcement is very reactive. Um, and there's very few people, very few agencies that I've seen after retiring that actually do have a forward thinking um, perspective. Um, you know, you, you mentioned rules of engagement. And yeah. Uh, so I only had three mandates that I had to go by. Was it, is it, Moral, ethical, and is it legal? And then I could plan any any mission off of those three. And if they fit, once we found, you know, once we came up with a plan that fit all three of those, then it was we were good. One of the things, and we'll talk about this in length in the next segment because we're going to go to break here in just a moment. One of the things that irks me to no end that I'm sure we are going to address is. And I hear it all the time. I hear it in social media. I hear it from the news media. I hear it everywhere. It's the over-militarization of United States <laughs> law enforcement. And yeah. I know you're uniquely qualified to talk about that. I'll just say this. Law enforcement officers in the United States, agencies, they adjust to two situations that stand out in my mind are the Austin Tower Bell Tower Sniper and also the North Hollywood shootout that changed the way, in their own set of circumstances, the way policing reacts to these situations. Same with Columbine. We're going to talk about Don't Go Anywhere. We'll be right back. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. I am Meg Marie O'Rourke from Harmony with Food. Do you ever wonder what foods you should or should not be consuming based on your own unique needs? At Harmony with Food, we are now able to determine exactly what foods we should or should not be consuming through advanced testing. Test, don't guess is the motto at Harmony with Food's BioUnique Boutique program. It has never been easier than now to determine what food, drinks, and supplements you need for your individualized needs. Head over to harmonywithfood.com and click on the testing tab return to conversation with robert vaughn robert is retired master sergeant from the united states army he has shadowgrouptactical.com trains law enforcement bridges the gap as you say between law enforcement and and in particular our special forces operators throughout the united states and why so much of that transfers over before we went to break, 
Robert, one of the things we talked about is I, I get crazy when I hear people say all the time the overmilitarization of a police. For example, uh, the patrol rifle, the AR, uh, those type of rifles that are in a lot of patrol cars now, we never had them. And the incident, I think, that had a lot to do with changing that aspect was the North Hollywood bank robbery shootout where literally you had LAPD officers pinned down, shot, couldn't couldn't re- effectively return fire and were going to gun stores trying to get rifles that they could use. Yes, I, I remember that. I remember that as well. Um, you know, so the militarization of the, of the police force in that argument, you know, it's one of those... You know, the tactics are going to cross, you know, like we said already, they're going to cross over back and forth between the two. And the normal progression is for, you know, a guy in the military to get out and he goes into law enforcement or first responder in some type of fashion. So those tactics that he brings to the table are going to be adapted by potentially that police force as well. So it's always going to be one of those crossovers that's going to happen. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, uh, I, I say this a lot to the classes uh, that I do uh, teach in the agencies is, you know, and I, I noticed that, you know, even the military, uh, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so, you know, we talked before, before break about reactive versus, you know, uh, proactive right. and pro, you know, proactive also goes into, you know, training. Um, so before we lose that, that train of thought on, you know, the patrol rifle, I want to circle back to that. And, you know, so the tactics have changed over the years. You know, you, you first mentioned the Texas Tower. You know, that was, you know, Vietnam era, um, an elevated position, guy with a, a, that was a very good shot with a, with a rifle and had several weapons up there with him. You know, and none of the officers had anything other than pistols. And they'd have to, they had to run home to actually get their deer rifles to come back and try to, to take care of this situation. You know, and, you know, the, um, the LA, shootout with the guys in body armor law enforcement wasn't they they hadn't faced that before so you know some of the other changing catalysts and law enforcement history you know, it's been you know we talked about those two and then you got columbine uh columbine kind of changed the way you know that we no longer do this around the call out wait for a swat uh now it's a it's direct a threat so we have to go in and take care of the threat and that was brought upon by that um you know, Virginia Tech, that shooting, it, it brought about the change in the notification system for the schools, uh, as well as law enforcement's response. You know, and the, you know, some of the latest to, you know, the, the Pulse nightclub, you know, they, they used explosive uh, wall breach on that. Um, so is that going to be a catalyst for more law enforcement agencies to train in explosive breaching? Uh, and then the, the Vegas concert shooting, you know, where, he was in the, again in an elevated position, trying to fight. It. He tried to shoot at the uh, uh, McCarran Airport uh, fuel tanks that were there. Um, placed an L-shaped bracket on the the emergency exits to keep first responders from getting to them too quickly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think a lot of these, you know, uh, again, you know, guys are law enforcement officers and agencies are constantly trained on active shooter, and you know, just thinking of the next logical progression. I'll be honest with you, we didn't have that terminology back in the 80s and early 90s. And it's not like those things didn't happen. They still happened. They just, we didn't seem to know about them as much. They didn't seem to be, what happened in LA, for example, prior to the bank shootout, didn't hear a whole lot about on the East Coast. Um, So 
when those things did occur, things began to change. I do remember situations we've had in Baltimore where we had officers who were shot and were down in the street. And we had, like you said, a man in an elevated position with a bolt-action rifle shooting at people. And we couldn't get there. We'd have to use the old trucks to try to get there and, and drag them to safety. And now we have these armored vehicles. And if you see an armored vehicle down the street, and people go, what do they need that for? Mm-hmm. Well, we need it for exactly that reason. Right. Yep. And, you know, they're, they're a great tool uh, to have, especially for, you know, recovering uh, those casualties and making your approach uh, and that type of thing, keeping the, the team safe. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of arguments about the ballistic shield and that as well. You know, um, the it's a great tool if it's used properly. Why do you um, think that people have this mindset that that's okay for our military to have these tactics and these these weapons and this equipment, but it's not okay for our American law enforcement have it. Uh, to me personally, I, I I think you know this is just Rob Vaughn talking. Uh, is that you know these tactics are a necessity. It, it, the tactics for law enforcement officers uh, to enter a building. You know, uh, going back to the active shooter uh, and the mentality of why do our guys need this type of training? Well. I'm asking a patrol officer to go in on an active shooter with the least amount of training whatsoever uh, to actually affect a hostage rescue because that's basically what it is. And you don't have the luxury of waiting. Uh, no, you don't. Even I mean, back in the 80s, that was a standard procedure was you, you secure the area and call for SWAT. But then was the, the, the commanders on the scene who made the decision, we can't wait that long, we're going to send people in. And I hate to tell you, we went in sometimes and I've had almost zero training on that sort of stuff. How I made it through, I don't know. Right. And, you know, we talked about that a little while ago. You know, you don't know what you don't know until you find it out. You know, I've I've been asked several times to do train-the-trainer courses. Um, and this is one of those, again, it goes back to, to the active shooter and, and anything else. You know, um, I can teach you how to do it. I can teach you one specific way to do it. And hostage rescue CQB is going to be very fluid, very dynamic. Um, but I cannot teach you the operational experience. So those train the trainers that I just sent back don't have the knowledge of when do I need to switch this tactic to another and uh, learning those from actually doing it. And that's what is the ultimate determining factor. It's the people on the scene and their experience. I've always said this. You can train for every possible scenario you can think of or every possible scenario that's happened in the past. And somebody's going to turn around and do something totally different that no one ever thought of. And you're going to be like, how do we handle this? And I hate to say it, but a lot of times you just got to play it by ear. Yeah, sometimes. And, you know, it's a calculated risk at, at others. You know, um, there's been several times where I've used something that was completely outside the realm of what tactically was sound and it was only because that was the only way that the job was going to get done we are talking with robert vaughn robert is retired master sergeant for united states army also a law enforcement officer he trains law enforcement with a shadow tactical group get more information about what he offers 
get their website, all the details. Do a Google search for Shadow Group Tactical, and you will find their website. Don't go anywhere. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more, there's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at hefepods.com. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. If you've missed past episodes of the radio show, never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. Return our conversation with Robert Vaughn, Robert, retired U.S. Army Master Sergeant, uh, former law enforcement officer. He has shadowgrouptactical.com, trains law enforcement, bridges the gap between law enforcement and the military in uh, tactical applications. And when we talk about tactical stuff, we're talking about use of force. We're talking about uh, shooting situations, active shooters. In your career, and I know you don't call it Delta Force, you call it the unit or CAG, correct? Correct. So I did a little reading, and Robert, you've got a Silver Star, and I think you said three Purple Hearts during your combat. Uh, veteran experience uh, i turned down my third purple heart how does one turn down a purple heart well uh, that's a good question um so what i thought was just a scratch um really turned out years later that it was not so much a scratch and still have 18 pieces of shrapnel in my right arm uh but at the time you know the medic uh is you know one of my medics you know so the the troop medic says hey rob you know, this doesn't look bad. Um, you, you good? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm good. I don't need, I don't, I don't need an award or anything. I've already got two enemy marksmanship badges already. So take us through the, the incidents, uh, the first two purple hearts. Uh, so the first one, uh, I won't tell you where it was at. Um, it, it, you know, so we were on a mission, uh, and I was typically, when I first got into the unit, I was on a climbing team which means that we would normally climb um, and, and uh, take the structure from the top down. Uh, well, we were setting up ladders. Uh, team leader um, walked around the cor- uh, turned around the corner and uh, received fire. So as soon as he received fire, he dropped. Um, I went to go grab him and didn't know it at the time, uh, didn't feel it, uh, but I also was engaged and, and shot at that time. So um, grabbed him, patched him up, actually went and stacked up to go into the next structure, and that's when I started to get the the kind of sparkly on the the very outside of my eyes and realized From blood that loss. I, that's it. Yeah, that's when I realized that I was hit. Um, never felt the entry. I actually felt the exit, and it felt like literally somebody. You know that old game where you 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 thump, you, you thump somebody with a with the tip of your finger. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. I thought it was a piece of of, um, of uh, stone off the wall next to me, uh, but it was actually the exit of that round. 
So that's the first one. And you you stayed in your your mission for as long as you could, even after being shot. Right. Uh, you know, and it's it's one of those things where even in training, um, like back then, we used to, um, everything was live. Like we have live role players, live rounds. Um, since then, you know, they've they've come out with like the FX, the simunitions, and and this type of thing, uh, so that you could, you know, and train force on force. Um, you know, so back then it wasn't force on force. You'd have live role players in the structure, but you'd have paper targets uh, with with you know target backers and and bullet traps. Um, so. Moving back to the the second one, um, that one was a rifle. Uh, so it was an AK that I got hit, and it was basically a glancing blow and completely dead in my arm. So that one, I knew right off the bat that I was hit. Um, continued on with the mission for that one. Uh, got back, got patched up, and that was it. You right guys make work. it sound like it's just business as normal. Um, well, you know, what I was... What I was trying to allude to, you know, when I was talking about the training is, you know, when we went to force on force, um, and I think this is one of those things, uh, you know, you got to train like it's a live hit every single time. Um, so when you're, when you're using those force on force, you know, no matter where I get a hit and, you know, while, while we're training, you don't quit, you don't quit. Right. You just keep going through the mission. Uh, and that builds up that, that, um, that training right there you know i won't stop i won't stop no matter what happens i'm gonna fight through until i can't fight through and then i'm gonna patch myself up so self-aid buddy aid and then medic you know um so yeah that's important because that sort of mindset was drilled into my head and every law enforcement officer i've ever met or interviewed on law enforcement show from like day one of the academy they started telling us no matter how bad the situation no matter how bad you're hurt, no matter how much your opponent might be giving it to you, you got to stay in the fight. You cannot quit. No, you, you absolutely cannot quit. And it's, you know, I remember one of the other podcasts um, that you you mentioned, like the body armor, you know, the um, that you know the second chance vest or whatever it is that you have underneath your uniform shirt. You know, that's one of the things I, I talked to the agencies and, and the officers that, that I train with is, um, is there's a couple different things that happen. You know, you got the combat chassis and that's not a, a term that I came up with. It was actually one of my OTC instructors, uh, that, you know, you put, you put your body, you put your equipment on your kit exactly the same way every single time. So that when you, you get that final piece of kit on, you transform from the soldier to the warrior, uh, and you're ready to do work for lack of a better term and going to you know back to the training scenarios when you're when you're trained like it's real every single time you're kind of tricking the mind um but it also builds up those you don't want the training scar of like I can be able to, you know, shoot around a corner without looking at my at my sights because you're responsible for every single round that goes down range. Correct. And so that tactic does not directly translate to what you would do in that in that real situation. Um, so you have to train like you would do it for real on the streets, or it's going to build training scars. 
I know from my experience, the mindset I had to develop to make it through some really bad situations. And part of it, to be honest with you, Robert, is I'd never, while I was always aware that there was physical danger, that you could get hurt, I was never really cognizant that this could be life or death. It was more, right, this is what I have to do now, this is what I have to do now, and I gotta go get that guy. I cannot, my mind, is almost as if my mind was in sort of self-preservation mode, it was like, I can't look at the totality of what could happen, I gotta deal with what's in front of me, that's it. Right, uh, and you know, I, I was the same way. Um, you know, being law enforcement, I always wondered, you know, what would happen if I was put in this situation? Um, and, you know, even when I joined the military, it was peacetime. You know, so I was a Green Beret during peacetime as well, uh, as well as war. You know, and I always wondered, okay, all right, so the first time I went into the combat rotation was in the unit. So I know for a fact that we were going off the, the world's worst targets, the hardest targets on the planet. So I, I literally, like, we have to make out our, you know, last will and testament, our, our burial arrangements, make sure everything is, is taken care of, make sure your wife's taken care of all the, um, you know, the, uh, I can't think of the word now, but basically the, you know, she's taken care of, she can, she can make the decisions, uh, power of attorneys, mm-hmm. uh, making sure all those are, are taken care of prior to deployment. So being this is the first time I've gone into combat, I'm literally, I resigned that, okay, I'm going to die on this rotation. That's a heck of a, th- of, a of a mindset to go, this may be the end. And uh, there were times I had that too. Uh, not every day, certainly. Over a period of almost 12 years, there were times where I thought, especially when I was new, am I going to make it? Do I have what it takes to do this job? Will I be physically and mentally strong enough? Um, and, and yes, I was, but that all took a toll, uh, both physically and mentally. When we return, we're going to talk about the similarities and how what Robert has been through in the military drives his passion to help train our law enforcement officers and why we need to change our mindset about the equipment and tactics used by our local law enforcement. Remember to check out our website for news articles, past episodes of the podcast, download our free app, and much more. That's letradioshow.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Get access to free podcast versions of the show and more on Facebook. Do a search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. And if you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. If you've missed past episodes of the radio show, Never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. I'm John J. Wiley, joined by Robert Vaughn, calling us from South Carolina. Robert is a retired Master Sergeant for the United States Army. I'm not going to call it the Delta Force because I'll get corrected. 
the unit, CAG, uh, is also a former law enforcement officer, and he's the founder of Shadow Group Tactical. And get more information, do a Google search for shadowgrouptactical.com, land on their website, and find out what they do to help first responders. Robert, I appreciate your service. I, I say that all the time, and it sounds so shallow. It doesn't sound like enough. And to be honest with you, people have thanked me for my service in law enforcement now far more than they did when I was on the job. And I don't know how to respond. Even after all these years, I, I wound up saying, oh, it was nothing. And the correct response is, you're welcome. And it yeah, seems so yeah, hard to say that. It, it is the hardest thing to hear because you really don't know how to respond to, um, to thank you for your service. Well, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult question or statement. It is. And even amongst, when I say other law enforcement people, or first responders, or military, I feel awkward, and I know from their response, they feel awkward too. And what we tend to do, and I, I made references earlier, and when you talked about being shot, is that it's just like any other Saturday to you. When we hear about our law enforcement uh, and, and our military men and women, and I get why they do it, when they're on the press and someone says, hey, you did a great job, that's heroic stuff, and they always downplay it. You know, it's a team, it was this, it was that. And I'm waiting for the for us to start changing our attitude and start saying, acknowledging ourselves. Yeah, that's pretty heroic stuff done by some pretty heroic people. And we do this every day. It, and it is true. And, you know, um, I, I thank officers as well. Uh, you know, no matter if they tell me, thank you for your service, you guys have done a service as well. You're the front lines here. Uh, and... You know, like we, you know, if you, if you go on the website, you'll see that normally on Fridays or on Instagram, I, I normally change, you know, and, and post something about remember everybody deployed or remember everybody deployed to me and to what I feel is not just us, uh, military uh, service men and women overseas, but also the men and women first responders that are out on the line every day. Um, so thank you for, for your service uh, and Hopefully, we'll get to see you sometime soon. What do you think is the biggest difference between our military men and women and our law enforcement as far as training and 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 danger? Well, as far as training, uh, I, I mean, even even a line company uh, it does training a, a quite a bit um, more than law enforcement. Uh, law enforcement, I know, like SWAT teams, uh, it's what the national standard is. It's two days a month. Um, to, to go out and train on, you know, a plethora of different things that they need to train on. So they, they pick, all right, we're going to do this tactic on this day uh, and then something else tomorrow. Uh, and then, you know, military trains at least once a week. Um, and, you know, we had what was Sergeant Major Day or, or Sergeant's Day or whatever, the you know, the they called it during that time. It, you know, you would have NCOs take – responsibility for the troops and take them out and train uh, train with them all day uh, on different tactics, you know, working through the woods, working through, you know, react ambush, uh, you know, just this happened all the time. And then, you know, even on the days where you're, you weren't doing that, you had guys, the, the team leaders or the squad leaders that were, you know, all right, hey, let's do some hip pocket, hip pocket training uh, and let's go work on this. 
I can be honest with you, I don't remember ever doing all that stuff. I mean, in the academy, we had quite a bit of it. But after that, we had a yearly in-service training for one week. Mm -hmm. And one day, that was at the range. And I can't tell you a time that we had, after graduating from Peace Academy, a time where we had actual physical defense skills training. Uh, As a patrol officer, you, you were humping calls left and right. The special units, like SWAT teams, they had time to train. They had more training than we did. We had zero. Once you graduated, you're on your own. Right. And, you know, that's, again, the patrol officer, the normal patrol officer, that's that's it And for a while. You know, he'll get his academy time uh, and then with his uh, training officer and then cut loose. And then you won't have anything other than, like, qualification right. once a year or you know something along that lines and that if that's all that you're doing training wise it's not enough um and unfortunately you know, unless the officer agrees to pay the expenses of their own pocket a lot of times they're not going to get the extra training right and that's just that's something that i'm seeing now is i do see officers pay out of pocket i even see swat teams pay out of pocket to get training um and i never would have expected that it's a sad reality. You're, you're talking about city, county, state governments, and their 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 budgets really don't allow for a lot of it. And uh, I can just and that's normally experience. the first that's the first budget that gets cut. Exactly, that's exactly what's getting at. And uh, when it comes to life and death situation on the streets, it's not the life of the administrator that's uh, in peril. It's that patrol officer and. Uh, it's a totally different scenario, as I'm sure you can detest that if you were in a gunfight with someone, it's a totally different scenario being an actual running gun battle than it is with some firing at paper targets that don't move. Right. And there's a, you know, I'll coin a phrase from you know, Heartbreak Ridge, you know, there's there, there's definitely a very distinct sound when fired upon. Uh, and you can definitely tell when it's aimed towards you or t- aimed, you know, left or right of you. Um, and you know, I, I talked to one of the agencies that I work with a, 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 a bit, and they had a, a shooting a while back. And you know, they they confided in me. It's like, hey, Rob, we had no clue where the where the gunfire was coming from. I was like, okay, let's remedy this. Do we have a range with a parapet? And I had to explain a, a parapet. Uh, and this is a a term that you know, military ranges. We have like. Um, like our sniper ranges. This is where I learned this, this technique is you're behind a berm uh, in basically, you know, a little valley and you're, you're putting the target up for the sniper and he, he does this for you. So sitting there and not looking at the target, hearing that crack of that round going by, I knew when it was aimed at my target versus the guy next to me uh, and down the line. Uh, so that's a learned response. That's an operational you know, um, learned uh, action. Right. You know, uh, and being able to do that in an urban environment overseas, knowing the the sound bounces off of this wall, and you can basically, you know, like work your way back. How many times have you been out and heard like a helicopter approaching in in downtown? And you're right. like, where this, it sounds like it's coming from. This it's direction. bouncing off every wall. It's hard to it's hard yeah. to determine where it's coming from exactly. Right. So being able to to figure that out is basically the same thing as you're doing with the crack of that round. Funny thing is, and this is a, a piece of advice I got from an old time Vietnam veteran uh, when I was a rookie police, and he taught me that when you're driving your patrol car, no matter what the weather, 
no matter with how cold, how hot, raining, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. make sure you have your driver's side window at least halfway mm-hmm. down so you can hear the sounds of gunshots or people screaming for help or maybe someone mm-hmm. coming towards you. Because uh, that might not, you might save someone else's life, but the life you might save might be your own as well. And that was just, doesn't sound like a heavy-duty tactical tip, but it's it's something that's important. It's, yeah, and I used to do the same exact thing, um, and it, it actually gave you more situational awareness. That's a term I never heard 10 years ago that I, that I now hear all the time, and I tell people all the time, and I'll be honest with you, I tell my daughters that all the time. You know, don't be paranoid, don't be afraid, but you've got to be aware of what's going on around you at all times. Uh, before we close out, we are running out of time. Robert, we're going to have to have you back on the show again in the future. There's many things to talk about. Tell people where you can get more information about Shadow Group Tactical and what you do. So you can get uh, you can get information. You can either email me on, on the website or, uh, you know, shadowgrouptactical.com is the website. Uh, I, I, again, I travel to you. Um, I That keeps costs down and for the agencies and, and officers themselves. Uh, it, being a law enforcement officer to begin with, joining the military, doing the things I did, I wanted to come back full circle and give that knowledge, that battle-tested knowledge, back to law enforcement and save the guys here on this front line. I want to thank you so much for your service. I know we've talked about how awkward that is when people say that and how to respond. Uh, I want to thank you so much for what you do now. And I want to thank you so very much for being a guest. All that is very much appreciated. Well, thank you, Jay. I appreciate you having me on. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.